There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey folks, just a heads up. This episode discusses suicide. During our chat, there's lots of laughter and healing, but as always, please listen at your discretion. And if you or a loved one needs help, you can call or text 988 and connect with a trained counselor. Edit audio. For years after my mom died, I had a ton of unresolved feelings about our relationship. And you can call it hooey, but I went to see a medium because I wanted answers to some of these questions. And lo and behold, my mom, Rosie, showed up in all her brassy bodiness. But of course, this time from the other side. Now, on the plus side, she said some really lovely things and she apologized for the bad parts of my childhood. But then I asked the $50 million question, why? Why did you do the things you did? Was it something from your childhood? And then the message came from Rosie, through my psychic lady, of course, loud and clear. The why doesn't matter. Rosie said, you just got to move on, kid. You just have to move through this. Now, at first, I felt a tinge of frustration. I mean, I really believed that I needed to understand why in order to help me process but I have to say that feeling just faded quickly, and I realized that the why didn't matter. I am where I am, and I need to find my own joy. I needed to move on from the past and live in my present. And real or fake, whether it was Rosie speaking or that lady flipping tarot cards, I felt free. And guess what? It only cost me 125 bucks. Hello, everyone. I'm Robin Hopkins, and this is Well Adjusting, where I talk to people about life stuff, but not in an NPR way. It's more like we're at the bar, having cocktails, getting into your business sort of way. It's it's giving drunk NPR. Oh, and producer Steph is here, too. Hello. Today we chat, well, the unanswered questions of suicide. All right, I know I say this all the time, but today's episode is a really special conversation. And by the way, I always mean it, just FYI. Anyway, I've known Amy for many years. We've laughed, we've drank tons of cocktails, probably too many cocktails, and we have been through a whole ton of life transitions together. Recently, she reached out and she she wanted to know if we were going to be tackling grief on Well Adjusting. And I said, oh my God, of course we are. And I told her about the Serena episode from season one, which if you haven't listened to it, for God's sakes, go back and listen to it. It's fantastic. But in our chat, 
I heard this openness about her wanting to talk about her brother's suicide. And and I have to tell you, this was no small thing for her to do. It wasn't something that she talked about with people regularly. So the result of this, of her being brave, of her coming on and talking about this, is an important conversation about loss, grief, about shame, and about suicide. Yeah, I, I do want to say like an important note before we get into the conversation Our goal coming into this was to really approach this conversation, not from like a voyeuristic point of view, but really from a place of talking about how she can heal and maybe how she can even help the other people around her that were affected heal as well. Yeah, that's a really great point. Okay, let's get to the interview. Here we go. I'm Amy, and I'm a Gemini living in Boston with the love of my life, my bulldog Lola. Amazing. <laughs> okay, so that's bad that you didn't say your husband. We'll get back to that. If you could edit that out and put my <laughs> husband, Jonathan, in, that would be appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> so you and I were talking about grief. For me, it was around the loss of my brother who took his own life. And to me, it's been the same question for nine years, and that is why. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we should say up front that you and I know each other. We've known each other for many years. And so mm-hmm. I was around when it happened. But maybe tell everybody a little bit about who your brother was and your relationship, just so we, we have a starting point of where, sure. where things were. He was my big brother. He was the oldest of five of us. And he was a bigger than life person in my life. He was my hero. Um, woo. And just so everybody knows, while Amy's recovering there for a second, mm-hmm. we talked about this probably being an emotional yeah. conversation. And I, of course, suggested maybe she have a cocktail before we start. And then I said, wait, no, 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 actually don't do that. Because <laughs> we knew this was going to be a, a tough conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but a necessary one. So, you know, my brother was 49 years old when he took his own life. And that was after an incredible life where he devoted himself to the armed services. He was a Marine for 25 years and he retired at the highest rank. He had served four tours of duty over the last 25 years. And so when he retired, it was really this amazing moment to celebrate him and to usher him into his next phase of life. Yeah. And my brother was the type of person that you could call at any hour of the day and he would always answer. And if he happened to be in the country and you were having a problem, he would find you wherever you were to help you solve that problem. He was the guy you called. Yeah. And so you can imagine the incredible shock yeah. When it happened. Yeah. And and we didn't live in the same state, so I didn't see him every day. I didn't talk to him every day. So to me, there were no signs. And he and I had actually spoken mm. a week before, and we were planning Thanksgiving. Yeah. We were talking about the family getting together and how we were going to celebrate Thanksgiving together. Yeah. And that was our last conversation. And I mean, really, I think the question is just like, what, what happened for you when it happened? Everything changed. 
I, I can remember the day and I, I relive the day so many, so many times in my head. Yeah. I actually remember starting my day out and going to therapy as millions <laughs> of New Yorkers do. <laughs> Start your day with a little therapy. And it was, it was nine months after I had lost my father. Uh, so I was in therapy, working through and processing the grief of losing my father. And I remember coming out of that particular session feeling like, oh, I feel the fog starting to lift. I feel myself becoming me again. Yeah. So I went to work and started my day and was in my weekly with my two bosses. And there was a knock on the door. There was an urgent call that I needed to take. And so immediately I felt dread yeah. and fear. And I remember taking that call and it was actually, my husband was patched through. And I remember him saying, Dave hurt himself. Ugh. And I said, I don't know what that means. Like, what do you mean he hurt himself? Like, was he in a car accident? And he's like, no, Amy, I think Dave hurt himself. And I remember just like falling to the ground. Mm. Like, none of it made sense. Like, that's impossible. I went home, I booked a ticket. I got on the plane, got to my mother's where everybody was. And there was just such anguish. It was so shocking. And none of us knew how to process. There's yeah. no, there's nothing that you've ever experienced that will ever prepare you for, for this. Right. And, and so immediately we become private detectives, like yeah, something else must have been going on that we weren't aware of, right? This is not yeah, like was something. he in trouble? Did he have money issues we didn't know about? Like something must have been going on. That's exactly right. And and that's like the rabbit hole we went down, you know, especially my younger brother and I. We were, you know, at the police station the next day asking questions like, what did you find? Was there anything suspicious? Right. Anything that happened or you heard or you saw that might lead you to believe that he didn't do this and there was foul play. Right. And the detective was like, we didn't find anything like that. Yeah. Then we call a friend who's a forensic accounting and we say, can you dig into his finances? Is there anything happening there that we're unaware of? Yeah. Nothing. I mean, you really yeah. spend a lot of time trying to come up with answers is is it answers or is it i don't i don't want to or i can't believe this is true or is it both it's both in the moment it's impossible especially because he's not somebody you knew who was battling depression and yet i think as i've reflected over the last 9 years part of what you beat yourself up about is, well, did you ask him, right? Like he was mm. such a strong right. presence in your life. You always thought everything was okay. There was, a, 
you know, he's in four wars. Like there's nothing yeah. he can't fight or battle. And so you just never thought like that he was hurting. Right. Well, you know, Aim, before I say like these questions that I want to say, I think it's really important to say that our intention with this conversation, my intention, like in interviewing you and, and, and I know your intention because we talked about this like offline is about awareness and is about processing mm -hmm. and is about helping you address the question of the why and, and how, why you're still stuck with it. Because we are talking about really, God, like really intricate details about what you went through. And I just don't want anyone, yourself included, to think that we're just wading in what happened. You don't want to wade in someone's pain. This, this, why would you do that? You know what I mean? I do. I think, you know, you know, number one, talking about myself is really uncomfortable. Talking about my feelings is even more uncomfortable. Yeah. And on the ninth anniversary of his death, when I found myself in a fetal position, mm. still hurting as if it had happened yesterday, I realized, well, what am I not doing to help the healing process? And started to reflect on the fact that I, I did go to therapy. I got acupuncture. Yeah. You're a doer. Yes. And also, I know how to distract myself. Mm -hmm. And at the time of his death, I was working in a very fast paced environment. You know it very well. Mm -hmm. It was easy to distract yourself, right? Yeah. It's easy to just get lost in the work, to keep moving. And what I realized about grief is, you know, it's just going to keep knocking on your door yeah. until you answer. Even once you answer, it's going to keep coming back to continue the conversation. And I think along the way, I stopped the conversation. Wow. That's a really interesting thing to notice. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, were you telling people it was a suicide or, or were you just saying my brother died? Like, how has your processing been? And, and, and take us to the door. So there were a handful of people that knew my brother took his own life. But what you realize around suicide is it's a really hard word to say. Yeah. So there were people who knew you were grieving about something. And I will say that I, I did not give any detail. I just said, you know, lost a loved one, mm -hmm. unless you were very close to me. Um, it is a very hard thing to say out loud. As you can say, I still have, you know, I still struggle. I still get that. Well, even in the way your husband told you, I think he yes. heard himself, like he couldn't bring himself to say the words. Right. Right. And so why is that? Certainly if we dig into the statistics, you know, at the time that my brother took his life, the statistic was 22 service members a day. Jesus we're taking Christmas. their lives, right? And again, something I felt guilty about. Why didn't I know this? Why don't we know this, right? And 
Is there shame in it? Yes. Well, and also it's like, it's a word where when you say it, everybody's in your business. Like Mm -hmm. I can say my uncle passed away and you have no knowledge of my relationship, of what happened, of what it means. And then I can just say something. I can say, you know, it's okay. I'm all right. We're processing. Everything's all right. And, And I can move the conversation along. And I don't have to really let you too far in. You say suicide and you've let someone very far in. And if you're a person who likes things curated as to, you know, I decide what you get of me, that's going to be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's judgment with suicide, right? Mm-hmm. And people don't mean to judge, but there is judgment. And so it absolutely was and still is hard to say it out loud. Yeah. And I think that's part of the stumbling block to my healing process is that I haven't said it out loud enough. Right. Well, you're certainly doing that now. And and that's a long way of answering your question, why now? I think I finally had that clarity that I've been wanting to talk about it. I've talked about it with a therapist. But I wish that I had, I've never been one for group therapy, but I think that it would be very helpful to speak to people who have been through something similar. Yeah. Well, the the question that you ultimately wanted to talk about, which is the why, Mm -hmm. when you said that, I was like, oh, that's really interesting that that is her question. Because from an outsider's point of view, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was a person who served four tours, who probably was really struggling with PTSD and who, like, I can't even imagine what unimaginable things he saw over a repeated time, over years and years and years, and what darkness that could bring into anyone. Do you, yes, do you know what I mean? I do. I do think PTSD played a part. And when I talk about the why with people, when I want to replace the word suicide with another word, so mm-hmm. I don't have to say suicide, I say PTSD mm-hmm. was, was the cause. What did he see? What did he do in the military? You know, how do you assimilate after 25 years back into a culture that isn't really paying attention to the war being fought hundreds of miles away, thousand miles away? You come back and life is moving on. You are doing something that you really believed was serving a purpose bigger than yourself. And you come back and you realize, well, nobody really cares. And that's, yeah. I'm not saying nobody cares, but we're all kind of doing- We're in the day-to-day. Our own things. Yeah. The mission is now to become part of every, you know, to have an every day, to be a- um, Right. Suddenly you're in the grocery store picking out grapes. Exactly. You're just like, what the fuck am I doing with these grapes? Yes. There's that trying to assimilate back into this life and having felt a purpose to what you were doing and then saying, now what's my purpose? And also having the time and space to relive what your experiences were. Yeah. During the time that you served. 
right? Yeah. You know, we were saying how easy it is to distract ourselves. Well, when you're mission oriented and you're in the military, well, it's one mission after the other, after the other. So when are you really processing what you're going through? And so the answer does seem wrapped up in all of that, in the PTSD of it. But there's more why questions. What are, what are those? I wish we were in person. You take, Amy, take, you know. Do you want to get a drink? <laughs> Do we want to make a cocktail? <laughs> I thought you were going to make this funny. <laughs> we're good. It's we're getting to the funny. It's coming. Yeah. I can I can send a drizzly order over if you need it. Just <laughs> let me know. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to spit this out, but why didn't you call me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Or why didn't you call somebody? Yeah. The only thing that I can ever think is that that's how dark it was. That's how dark it was that he could not even pick up the phone. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was in therapy and obviously talking about this in every session and asked my therapist to help me try and understand what was going on with him in the moment, Mm -hmm. because you think they must be thinking rationally. Like I have a family. I'm loved. Yeah. Yeah. There are people I can call. One of his best friends, he lived around the corner and had been very open about his own struggles. He was a Marine also. So there were people, there was a support system. And my therapist said, when a person is in crisis like that, All they're thinking about is how do I get out of this pain? Mm, Yes. And, and, you know, as the survivor, there's what you clearly know to be true and facts, and those are all there, but none of those do anything to release you from your pain. No, no. I think what you learn is that time doesn't heal If anything, it gives you the space to learn how to cope and keep moving. I do think that there are the small things, like the talking about it. Like, I don't I don't know about you, but when I go to therapy and when I broach something that I'm really uncomfortable with, that I have maybe shame attached to or that I don't, but when I do say it out loud, I always leave the session a little bit lighter. Mm-hmm. And I do think that conversation and openness and talking about it helps release the shame. Yes. And I'd also like to figure out a way, and I, I think I'm getting better about doing this, is, yeah, as I mentioned, my dad died nine months prior to losing my brother. And he yeah. died of lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And it was shocking because it happened fast. So it was very sad. Um But we talk about my dad and we talk about what we loved about my dad and that helps. For some reason, we don't talk about my brother. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. And that has been something that I've realized when we talk about him, 
we're usually talking about what happened mm-hmm. and on the anniversaries uh, of his death or on his birthday, you know, we call each other and we say how sad we are. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, what if we could now talk about what we loved about him, yes. a, a favorite memory, you know, and try and pivot away from these milestones as being sad, mm-hmm. as looking at, we had my brother for 49 years. Yeah. And let's remember. Yeah. I wonder if maybe part of like you saying you're ready to talk about it means you're ready to be the leader to help. And that's, a, I don't mean this to be pressure, mm-hmm. but you are a leader. I know you as this, but like maybe you're ready to be the leader to help bring the family out of the darkness. And, you know, like maybe that becomes a celebratory day. We all have to say one nice thing about him. We have to send it, start an email chain. It's like, everybody say, say one nice thing. If you can't be together, one nice thing or have a Zoom and you all have a cocktail and tell a story. Mm-hmm. Like bringing the light and the levity to the loss and the love. I, I, I'd like to think that that can happen because I, I don't know that I recognized that we weren't remembering what we loved about him as much as sitting in our sadness. Yeah. And so how do we pivot away from that? And so the fact that I can get to this place, I hope, yes, I think it's a giant step in talking to you. I knew it was going to be uncomfortable. I knew it would be hard, but I wanted to push myself so that I could then hopefully pave the way for, you know, my brother and sisters and my mom, as well as my nieces and extended family who we all still struggle with it. I do think like you right now are like a a promo for Hmm. talking to people because, you know, I think sometimes we just live so much in our own heads and I, I don't know what good comes of that. Like I could have, <laughs> I could have a, a lot of arguments and rationalizations go for days. You know, it's when I talk to other people that I trust and that I let them in when growth usually happens. And I think you have the perfect question to start the conversation of the dialogue with your family, which is how come we don't talk about our brother more? You know, like how come I think we should talk more about him. And then by the way, just saying that, creates the environment for everyone to say wherever it is they are. And some people might be like, I'm not ready. And some people might be like, you're fucking right. Why don't we? But it's like, you will be creating that space to bring people together in that way, uh, to bring an awareness. Yeah. And I, I, I'm excited about that dialogue because I think we've been stuck in one Mm -hmm. dialogue and that's not, I'm not judging it, but it's not necessarily helping us move forward. How do we take everything that he stood for and that his legacy, so to speak, like the things that we loved about him and we share that? Mm-hmm. I think if you're anticipating any resistance, like sometimes it's helpful to make it about yourself or like a project. At least I do that with my family. Like if I know that like people aren't going to want to like share a memory or like do something that involves them confronting their own grief process, you know, I'll make it about me. Like I'm making something for 
myself to help me go through this. And like, it's a scrapbook or it's a list of things I can come back to or whatever. Like, can you share something with me? And then I don't know, sometimes that makes people feel like they're helping you rather than confronting their their own stuff, (laughs) which I don't know if that's necessarily healthy, but I do think it's a it's a a way in if you need a starter. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. And hearing you say that actually makes me think that I underestimate my family's reaction. Mm. I, I think also like your mom and siblings probably want to remember the 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 parts of his life that you know yeah. are not like you know like his life was so big before his suicide he had a huge life he was a huge part of mm-hmm. all of your lives i'm sure those are the memories people want to keep but sometimes it's hard to like access those when there's so much pain at the forefront so i think you know inviting them to do that mm-hmm. cuz you're maybe a little further along or or whatever it is is like a really beautiful way to get them to start to do that. I agree. And I I think that would be very healing for everybody. I think it would get us out of sort of this rut of almost like still, still a little guilt, still some shame there, you know, and, and not talking about it in a way that it's like that happened. And now let's talk about the life that he led and the examples he set and the person he was. Yeah. Have you ever heard the saying that um, grief is all of the love that you've had for that person, but now there's like no place to put it? Like it doesn't have a place to go Mm. um, because the person's gone now? I have not heard that. Tell me more. I was wondering if there is a place, like if you could focus that love that you had for your brother, um, is there a place in your life that you could put that now or have you, are you still searching for that place? I think there's room to spread that love you know, even more within my family and to my friends, to humanity in general, right? It's like, where can I volunteer more? Where can I donate more? You know, how do I shine the light outward more? Yeah. Could you work with vets? So I was uh, introduced to an organization called VetPaw, which is Veterans for the Protection of African Wildlife. And What I found so amazing about this organization was that it was veterans who were no longer in active duty, but still needed a mission, Mm. putting that mission towards saving endangered species. And, you know, had my brother known about this type of an organization where it's mission oriented and doing really incredible work, would things have been different? We don't know, right? We won't have an answer to that question. But like talk therapy isn't for everybody. Yeah. Here's another way to channel that transition where you're coming out of active duty and you're trying to assimilate into a totally different culture and you're needing that mission, Mm -hmm. you know, continuing to find these organizations that are doing really good work for veterans, for active service members that are are suffering from mental health issues has been something I've strived to do and to give to those organizations. That does help me. That is one way of of me connecting with my brother. Yeah. 
I think what's wonderful is that what I'm not hearing is you saying, I I should have done this four years ago. I should have. You're not. You're just mm-hmm. saying like it's happening in its own time frame. And, and it, you know, while you may have shut the door to grief, you did not shut the door to your own life. You kept living, you kept moving and you, and like you, in your own words, you found a way to co peacefully coexist with this grief. I definitely am an optimistic person. I'm a positive person by nature and know that joy is to be had and I can have more joy in my life no matter what has happened to me and that I changed Mm -hmm. the day my brother died, you know, a spark went out in me, but we have more than one spark in us. Yes. And And more sparks can be added, different sparks. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that I want to find a way more to think about how we honor him, you know, in our, in our memories. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to be sad. Of course, we're going to be sad. I think there will always be sadness that we're not spending the holidays together. You know, I live in Boston and he was such a Boston sports fanatic. So every time I go to Fenway Park, I wish I was sitting next to my brother. Yeah. Because I know how happy he would be. He'd be so joyful. Yeah. So those feelings are always going to be there. Yes. It's how do we shift how we sit with those feelings, right? Well, I had an image while you were talking, you know, you're, you know, a really high level senior executive female um, in the entertainment industry. And you have always, because of the path that you walked, you have always turned around and said, I'm going to be a person who's here for young women who are fighting to have careers. And you have always been like, that's, that's very important to me. And I could just really see you turning and shifting and being a light for other people. And I think it starts right now because you offering to share your story, like lots of people are going to hear it. I could see you being a light for others so that, you know, they can learn and maybe it doesn't have to be 10 years for the next person Mm -hmm. to get to the point that you're at because of your journey. I really hope so. And I would say also, don't apologize for it. Yeah. You know, there is also a perception around grief that, well, it's been, yes, it's been this long. It's been six months. You still, you still upset about your mom? Yeah. How have you not moved on? You know, like there really are people who think, well, shouldn't you be like moving on at this point and should, 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 should. Right. And, um, the answer is no, you are, you are in a process. You are actually the answer is go fuck yourself. (laughs) And I'm in a process. (laughs) Go fuck yourself. I, I, I think on the why, which was like the big question that we came here with, I, I think it's like very normal to look for the why or look to understand things. Um, Something that I found really interesting is that people that have attempted suicide and survived often like can also articulate the why after. And I, I, I think that's very poignant because 
if if they can't do it, how can you kind of thing? Um, right. But I, I also was wondering if there is like a level of unknowingness that you think you'll be able to accept in your healing journey or if that isn't something for you. That's a really good question. It's a great question. And I I actually believe that I'm going to get to a place where I will have peace Mm -hmm. in not having the answer because there isn't one. Yeah. And, and not just to this question, but to so many questions we have, but as human beings, we want answers. We want reasons. And this is one question that will never be answered. And I will eventually be okay with that. Yeah. You have to get to acceptance. I love that you said I will instead of like, I hope to. So that's beautiful. I'm so proud of you. And I really mean this. You know, it's like I know where you were in the beginning of this journey of just not being able to speak about it at all. And to come on a platform and to be so open and to share your journey. I'm so thankful that you did it. And I'm proud of you. And it only took nine years. I mean, listen, (laughs) get there when you get there, right? Thank you, by the way. I appreciate you and I appreciate everything you said and this opportunity to talk. Um, I feel like it's been very healing for me. Um, So thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. You have reached the well-adjusting expert of the day. My name is Patricia Simcoe. I am a psychotherapist, psychoanalyst, and teacher in New York City. Here are some tools to help you cope with the impact of a death by suicide. One is to accept your emotions. There is no one right way to feel or one right way to behave. The first thing that you might notice is shock. It's hard to name shock when you're in it. It doesn't come on like sadness with tears or fear with trembling. Shock kind of stops you in your tracks. Of course, there's also denial. There is guilt. I should have called more. I should have been there. I could have done more. There can be anger, confusion, anxiety, loneliness, and even in some cases, relief. If someone we have loved has been suffering, finally finds relief through a death by suicide. These feelings are normal and they can vary. And there can also be another feeling or it's even a state, which is the sense of shame. Shame is a feeling, but it's more than a feeling. It is an entire state within your system. With shame, we feel like not just that we've done something wrong, but that there's something wrong with us. There's no standard timeline for grieving and no one right way to cope. The first thing is to accept your feelings. Focus on what you need. Take care of yourself. People in grief often forget to do this. It really is important. You must keep a regularity to your life, not just for your health and not just for your mental health, but also for the sense of continuity. Take care of your physical self. This can give you the strength to cope. You have to draw on your existing support systems. 
There is often stigma around suicide, and where there is stigma, there's shame. Many loss survivors suffer in silence, but talking about things brings them more within our own frame of reference. So the shock and the unbelievability of a suicide can become manageable. The sadness can diminish in intensity as time passes, but it's important to allow the grieving process in order to overcome the feelings and to continue to embrace the relationship that you had with your loved one. And one last thought. I think it's really important to know that oftentimes helping other people is just the path we need to help ourselves. So that's it, folks. That was one intense convo. So go hug the people you love. And I want to say a heartfelt thanks to Amy for sharing her story with us. My hope is that this conversation helps many, many people who have been impacted by suicide. And thank you to Patricia Simcoe for joining us again in season two and giving such fantastic advice. If you or a loved one needs help, you can call or text 988 and connect with a trained counselor. For more Robin, and you may need that, you probably don't need it, but like if you do, you can follow me at Real Rob Hops on all the platforms, all the socials, as the kids today say. Well Adjusting is an edit audio original, exec produced by Steph Colburn and Robin Hopkins. Thank you to Maria Passingham, Kathleen Speckert, and the whole edit audio team. Oh, hey, before you take out those AirPods, this show is just for entertainment. If you are in need of help, please, please, please reach out to a professional. Go ahead and get that help. You deserve it.